Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it up to Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 23. This is going to be our last weekend in the book of Proverbs. Before I get into the sermon, I want to give you a little preview to what's coming starting next week. Next Sunday is November 15th, which means Thanksgiving is right on the near horizon. And normally, I am one of those Thanksgiving legalists. All right, that sees Thanksgiving like an invisible dam that's holding back the Christmas flood. I love a good turkey. I love everything that comes with the holiday. But as I began to just sort of dream and plan for our Christmas season this year, I could just feel how much I needed Christmas. I think how much we all need Christmas. We need to swap out red and blue for red and green and enjoy the Christmas season and all the message of hope that comes with it. And so... Starting next week, we're going to begin our final sermon series of the year, a sermon series that we call each year, we call it Advent, which is uh, the Latin word in a Christian tradition that just means arrival. Uh, We're going to spend seven Sundays walking verse by verse through Luke 1 and 2, and the theme for Advent this year is is just this, hope is here. Hope is here. And I'm telling you about it right now because I want you to think about the people in your life that need hope which is everybody, all right? It's everybody. So you don't have to wait until Christmas Eve to invite someone to hear a message of hope. You can start this week because that's what's what's coming, all right? Now, with that said, let's talk about today. We're closing out our series in the book of Proverbs, looking at what Proverbs has to say. All right, you ready for this? About pride and humility. This is a major focus in the book of Proverbs and really all of scripture, but Proverbs, think of the structure of what we've been reading. It's a dad telling his son to heed his instruction, to humble himself and to be taught. In fact, you know what, before we go any any further, I want to practice humility right now by asking God, praying and asking God to teach us today to open our eyes and our hearts and convict us from his word. And I don't want you to go through the motion here. I want you to be sincere before God. I'm going to give you a short prayer to pray, and then I'm going to pray over us. There's no point for us going any further today if we aren't willing to sincerely open our hearts and our minds to what God might have to say to us. So I want to put us in that posture. I want us to each one of us choose, yes, Lord, I want to submit myself, humble myself to hear from you. So I want you to pray simply this. Speak to me, Lord. I'm listening. All right, it's a simple prayer, but it's the prayer of humility, of one that says, I'm willing to hear, I want to hear, I desire to hear from God, and I'm open to that. Speak to me, Lord, I'm listening. You take a second and you pray that. Speak to us, God. Humble our hearts, humble 
our minds, slow our minds, God, get distractions out of the way. Teach us. Speak to us. Open our eyes that we might see the wondrous things from your instruction, as Psalm 119 says. Speak to us, Lord. We are listening. Amen. Amen. If you're new to us, uh, in going through Proverbs, uh, I've been preaching it a little bit differently than we would a normal, uh, let's say a normal book of the Bible, a different book of the Bible, uh, because Proverbs is a little bit different. It's structured differently. The way I've described it to you, especially chapters 10 through 31, is that Proverbs is like a, a rope with many threads all wound together, and each theme is like a thread in that rope, and we've been pulling out a thread and taking a look at it, and that's what we're doing today. We're pulling out this kind of core thread in Proverbs of pride and humility. And so I'm going to give you a, an anchor text that we're going to work off of today. And you'll see several other spots in Proverbs as well. But Proverbs 29, 23, that's our anchor text. All right. Here's what it says. Simply this, a person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. Real simple. A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. And you can see even just in that one short proverb, these two paths that we've been bringing up week in, week out, right? You can see the path of life and the path of death. That's what Proverbs goes after uh, all the time. You read through it, you're going to see those two themes coming out. Wisdom will lead you down the path of life. That's why we pursue wisdom. And nowhere are the paths of life and death more vivid and clear in scripture than in the contrast between pride and humility. Pride leads to death. Humility leads to life. A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. Our main point, kind of our takeaway of the sermon today, this is sort of the application. It's really simple and it's right in line with that. It's just this, humble yourself and walk in grace. All right, that's where we're going to go. You're going to see that idea, that takeaway build as we take this proverb and look at it. Here's the challenge though. Most of us are going to nod our heads in agreement with the overall idea here that a person's pride will humble them. Or maybe it's Proverbs 16, 18. Maybe you've heard this one before. Pride goes before, or maybe the old King James version, pride goeth before the fall, right? Even if you're not a Christian, even if this is your first Christian worship service, you still know this to be true. Like through life experience, even through like literature, you know, all good stories equate pride and arrogance with evil. Like that's the bad guy's fatal flaw. Think of the great stories throughout history. You think of everything from the Odyssey to Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Despicable Me, and Die Hard. Like all these really great classics. They all have villains who are filled with pride. And pride is the villain's undoing. And now, of course, it's not, not only true in stories, you and I know it, in real life people, right? Real life stories of people whose pride, these are friends, family members whose pride led them to financial troubles. Maybe this is you, led them to financial troubles, to relationship troubles, to career troubles. It's simple. It could be little things like the sixth grader who was trying to steal third base and he got caught. He thought he was untouchable. And so the pitcher picked him off, right? Because it was his pride. Well, it's a common thing that you'll hear friends and family members say is that it was somebody's pride that kept them from listening to wisdom and from seeing the destruction that they were headed towards. When it comes to seeing our pride, we are so easily deceived, so easily blinded. 
which it's going to take me right to our first point. So let me tell you how we're going to work on this thing today. All right. We're going to see how pride works. That's that first part, you know, person's pride will humble them. We're going to see how pride works. Then we're going to look at that promise of humility, right? A humble spirit will gain honor. We're going to unpack that. And then finally, we're going to end with some really practical stuff of how we walk in grace. All right. So first, how pride works. You look at that verse, a person's pride will humble him. I'm going to give you my working definition of pride. I think it might be good to try and define it, but I'm going to do it based on just a survey of scripture. The Bible is not a dictionary. So instead of the Bible defining pride, what it does a lot more is it depicts it right over and over. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel is a great example. God puts him as king basically over the whole known world at the time. And the Bible says God actually gives him glory. And and majesty as he reigns over this. The Bible has no problem with this king ruling the known world. But then it says, Daniel 5.20, when the king's heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, right when that happened, it's our proverb again. He was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. It wasn't his position as king that was a problem. Kings can be in charge and acknowledge their own prominence. But when his heart was exalted, that's when he lost favor from the Lord. And when the Lord brought him down, when he thought highly of himself, when he ascribed glory to himself and not to God, pride's not being in a high position. Pride is thinking highly of yourself. That's our working definition for today. Pride is thinking highly of yourself. And that's the biblical depiction over and over and over. And the real problem for us today is how deceptive that is, how easy it is to get there. Very few people think of pride as a significant problem in their lives. It's a big problem for that other person, you know, (laughs) for that person, maybe you're married to, or for that person that is one of your kids, for that coworker, for whoever, but, but not really for you, right? That's why we need what Jesus says in Matthew 7 so much, right? Before you go help someone um, get the speck of dirt out of their eye, you better get the log out of yours. Because we tend to think when it comes to pride, especially they have the log in their eye and I got this little speck in my eye. And Jesus says, nope, you have major eye log problems when it comes to pride. And the good news for you today is today is eye log extraction Sunday here at Mercy Church. All right. (laughs) So we're going to go to work on it. We got to see it, y'all. We got to see pride before we can go to work on it. We have to see it as the evil that it really is. Because I don't want you to walk out of here and leave this message and leave this worship service and be like, yeah, man, I really, pride's pretty bad. You know, yeah, like I already knew that. No, no, no. Well, think of it this way. Um, right now is like perfect fire pit weather uh, in North Carolina, right? I got a new fire pit out back and we're going to be making fire pit, uh, making fires a lot in that thing. And so I got a neighbor, Mike, across the street. He loves a good fire too. So I told him, hey man, anytime you see the smoke, coming up from above my house, you come on over, right? And we'll hang out at the fire together. So even though Mike can't see the fire, can't even see me, can't see me making the fire, he knows there's a fire. Why? Because he sees the smoke. When it comes to the sin in your life, pretty much all of our sins are smoke that billows up from the fire of pride. If we want to deal with our sins, we got to go to the source and put out the fire of pride. That's why this is such a big deal and why we're spending today on it. Nothing is more dangerous to our relationship with God than our pride. It was pride that opened the doors for sin to come into the world when Adam and Eve thought, maybe I know better than God right here. That was pride. In the biblical story, you just read the story of scripture 
It's God's people over and over thinking highly of themselves, exalting their own hearts, then God allowing destruction to befall them, and then they humble themselves and turn back to God. Whether you realize it or not, your greatest problem in this world is your pride, your ego. Because that's what leads you to say, maybe I know better than God here. Maybe I know better. And so what will end up happening? <laughs> you'll end up agreeing with statements like, God loves you. Yeah, God loves me. But then you'll use his love as a license to do whatever you want to do in a situation instead of what he commands you to do. Because you think, maybe I know better than God here. I'm telling you, it's deceptive. It is deceptive. So let, let me show you, because, show you why it's such a big deal. I want to show you some of the sins, some of the smoke and how it really comes from pride. Take anger. You know why you're angry? It's because something didn't go in the way you think it should go. You're saying in your heart, I know how this should go. And it's not going that way. The cure to your anger is not to tell you to calm down. It's to go, that'd be like trying to swat the smoke. You got to go underneath and I got to tell you to get off of God's throne. You think things should go a certain way. That's the fire of pride. You need to humble yourself. Your anger isn't righteous. It's smoke from the fire of pride. What about worry? You know why we keep worrying? It's because we don't have the power to control what's going to happen but we think we know what outcome would be best. Maybe for you, you think your family being healthy, not getting sick would be best. So you worry that they will get sick and you triple worry if somebody does get sick. This is a huge one for me in my life. I worry when it's my family's health or my family's finances. If those are in any way uncertain, I start to really worry. You know what's causing that? I'm trying to sit in God's seat, but I don't have God's power. That's pride. Worry is smoke from the flame of pride trying to be in a spot that belongs to God. Or you take jealousy. Now listen, I'm gonna need a minute here. Look, jealousy, <laughs> the flame of pride creates a really thick smoke called comparison, jealousy. You constantly compare yourself to others and you compete with them to win at life. Earlier this week, Pastor Scott led our staff team through Matthew 20, this little parable where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is kind of like a vineyard and the owner goes and he hires some workers and the first thing in the morning and he agrees to pay them a denarius, right? All right, first thing in the morning gets these guys goes, well, then uh, they're like, great, this is awesome. They're gonna go get paid. So then the owner goes back out at noon, hires some more guys, goes back out right about an hour before quitting time and hire some more guys. All right, so end of the day comes around, they're all ready to go get paid. And what happens? The guys who only worked for one hour get paid the same as the guys who worked all day. And so the all day workers are pretty indignant. They're like, that's not fair. And the owner's like, wait a minute, I'm not doing anything wrong by you. If I want to give these guys something, that's my prerogative, it's my money. And then verse 15 in Matthew 20, he says, are you jealous because I am generous? Let me ask you something. Is it possible you are jealous of how God has been generous towards someone else? See, the all-day worker felt fine. was excited about what he had until he looked up and saw what somebody else got. Then as soon as he compared himself to someone, then... <laughs> 
Someone, by the way, that he thought deserved less than him, boom, he's unhappy. He's enraged. All of a sudden, he feels injustice has been done. Are you jealous of God's generosity towards someone else? Because you think if you're honest, if you're honest, you deserve more than them. Maybe you're 32 and you're looking at the 23-year-old who just got engaged to be married. Like, wait a minute, hold on. I deserve that before them. Maybe it's the couple who can have kids. It's about to have their third kid and you, you guys haven't been able to have your first. I deserve those grades. I deserve those looks. I deserve that girlfriend. God, why would you give that to that person? Are you jealous? Because God is generous. That's smoke from a fire. Look, let me be real um, 2020 current with you, all right? This is a hard sermon because pride built out a deep nest in my soul a long time ago. And I keep trying to take it to the Lord, and he just keeps revealing more of my pride. In fact, um, I had a great exchange with a couple of staff members prepping for this week. Um, Jake and Jessica, excuse me, Jack and Jessica. Um, I told him, I was like, look, I'm preaching on humility. And Jessica had this really thoughtful thing. She's like, you know, you should spend some time fasting and praying and journaling all the ways you struggle with pride. It'll help you really be able to do the sermon really well. I was like, yeah. And then Jack goes, well, wouldn't it just be faster to ask his wife? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Very true, <laughs> very true, because she will for sure know, because she saw me, listen, she saw me in early um, April, early April of 2020. I was about as relaxed as I've ever been in ministry. And I felt so calm. And I thought at the time, I thought, man, the Lord has given me peace in the middle of the COVID storm. This is awesome. And I do think that was part of what was happening, but I've since realized something else was happening. I was calm because for just a few weeks, no pastor on earth knew what to do. So listen, for the first time in my career, I had no one to compare myself to. And I realized in that time, something really dark about myself. That sometimes the reason I work so hard is not to be a good pastor. It's to be a better pastor than the guy down the street. And then... A little bit later, the first comparison metrics started to emerge. And one of the first ones that came out, like of signs of church health in the pandemic, was giving. How's your financial situation? And at the time, you guys were, y'all were being so generous. And some friends, I, I had friends at churches that were really struggling. And we get on the phone, get on a Zoom call. Oh, so Zoom. And so we were on a Zoom call. And, um, you know, a friend of mine, a pastor friend, is telling me about how he's, concerned because his church is struggling financially. And do you know how I felt? I felt good <laughs> because I was in a better spot than him. How twisted is that? A friend is talking about his church's financial troubles and I feel good. Some of y'all are like, Spence, you're pretty messed up. Yes, I am. Thankfully, so are you. <laughs> and I know it because I pray with you. Um, I mean, <laughs> how many times, take the spotlight off of me for a second, maybe back onto you. How many times have you tried to outpray somebody, Christian? Like you're in a little prayer group and you're, you're not even agreeing with their prayer. You don't even know what they're praying. You just kind of know how flowery their prayer language is. And you're thinking about how you can outpray them, right? Because you got to be holier and better at prayer than them. Even though Romans 8 tells us the spirit is the one interceding for us. 
Y'all, comparison is this giant thief of joy. It is smoke from the flame. Let, Let me flip this for a second. Some of you have an inner critic. You don't resonate with us competitive people because you feel like you're a constant failure. Like you're always down on yourself. You feel worthless. Let me be gentle here because you don't need me to knock you off your high horse, right? You hear me define pride as thinking highly of yourself and you're like, that's never happened once in my life. Well, let me ask you something. How does God see you? God sees you as a sinner and he loves sinners. He says he has redeemed you. He says he approves of you in Christ. He says he's given you his Holy Spirit and he calls you son. He calls you daughter and he's created good works for you to walk in. He is molding you into the image of his son. So my question is, do you believe that you are a royal child of God set apart by him? as a testimony of his grace and his redemptive power, loved, cherished, valued, and being transformed into his image. If you are constantly down on yourself, that is smoke from a flame. Your pride, your pride is saying, you know the real you better than God knows the real you. Like, if God only knew how depraved I really am, he does. He actually knows better than you. Or do you somehow, have you wired it up so you think he is completely infinite in all knowledge of everything except when it comes to like Lauren's secret thoughts and desires? If your name is actually Lauren, I didn't write this with you in mind. This is just an example right there. Look, every time that you have like a self-discovery where you're going, man, I can't believe I'm really this bad. God is already standing there going, oh, I can. And that's actually not all you're even, it's, it's even worse. And I still love you. I love you still. My grace goes deeper than your deepest sin. You thinking worse of yourself than God does? That's pride. And you, as, as crazy as this might sound, need to repent of your self-loathing and receive and stand in God's word about you. He loves you. I'm not going to take time to unpack lust, greed, apathy, these other things. But if I did, you'd see they're all smoke from the flame of pride. And left unchecked, your pride will humble you. It'll tear you down, either through destroying your life or enslaving you to itself. You always have to feed it. But of course, the great news is the proverb doesn't leave us in a pit of despair. We're all proud. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the proverb says there's a better way. Right? This gets to the second part of our sermon where we talk about the promise of humbling ourselves. A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. I think we that do agree with all this pride stuff might be a little like, I don't know, might strike us a little strange. Like, is it okay to desire honor? Doesn't that run the risk of falling into pride? Well, the reality is God did make us with the intent to glorify us Our hearts long for what Peter calls in 1 Peter 1, 7, praise and glory and honor. The apostle Paul validates our desire for glory and honor and immortality in Romans 2. And according to Romans 8, 30, he is going to glorify us. So the thing in us that longs for the mountaintop, that's put there by God. And y'all, the promise of humility is an eternal 
promise that we will live in full glory with God in heaven forever. And that eternal glory, the pathway there is humility. This is the message, not just of Proverbs, but of all of scripture. This is the one-on-one in the ways of God. Pride humiliates us. Humility honors us. This is Matthew 23, Luke 14, Luke 18. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain be made low. In fact, Proverbs 22 is going to go so far to say this. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. And right there, Proverbs 22, 4, you see the key phrase that guides all of Proverbs. Solomon equates humility, look at that, to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7 told us the fear of the Lord was the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 3, 7 told us, don't be wise in your own eyes, but instead fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord is humility. Y'all, our main point, our main idea for today, the main takeaway is to humble yourself and walk in grace. This is how you humble yourself. You fear the Lord, you worship the Lord. That's what it means to humble yourself, to see God rightly, fearing him because he's holy, but he's also good, right? He's alpha and omega. He's the eternal I am, the creator, sustainer, the one upholding the universe. And at the same time knows the number of hairs on your head. He is perfect, holy. Hebrews 12 calls him a consuming fire. And like Moses before the burning bush, when you see God rightly, you fear him not in terror, but in reverent awe. And you fall down before him, remembering you are a sinner who rebelled against that holy, righteous, consuming fire, God. You're his enemy. So you stand in judgment before him. And then you remember Jesus right there. You remember Jesus. You remember his grace. The grace of Christ is the motivation and power and focus of your worship that starts tearing down this pride, starts putting out that flame. You worship your way out of your pride. That leads us right to the blazing center of the Christian faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the core of our faith, is the announcement of the greatest act of humility in human history. Look how Paul summarizes it in Philippians 2. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. He's telling, all right, Philippians, all right, church, this is how you're going to walk. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who... Existing in the form of God, he was high, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. He wasn't done just by becoming a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Don't you see Proverbs 29, 23 here? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is humility. While we keep trying to make much of ourselves, to lift ourselves up, the perfect son of God humiliated himself, made himself nothing. He was born into a nothing town, born to a nothing family. He got down and washed the nasty feet of his nobody disciples, rode into town on a stinky nothing animal, allowed himself to be arrested, mocked, beaten by nothing sinners, and died in a nowhere hill. 
he became obedient to God to the point of death, death on a cross. But he didn't stay there. <laughs> he didn't stay there. He, he defeated death. And this humble Savior did this so that we could share in his glory. And instead of us dying for our sin, all he calls us to do is die to our foolish pride. What grace? What mercy? Do you know this grace? Do you, like Hebrews 12 says to do, fix your eyes on Jesus? That's the way out of pride. You see, the secret to humility is not to think less of yourself. That might slip you back into that inner critic space. The secret of humility unlocked by the white hot love of God for us found in the death and resurrection of Jesus is to think about ourselves less, to fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, think for a second, he defeated death. Have you ever defeated death? No. Starts to make pride a little bit foolish to put ourselves in the seat of the one who has defeated death, who has overcome the grave. No, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider his love for you. And as you do, he will fill your heart with security and peace that transcends all understanding. Worship your way out of your pride. And when I say worship, I mean in your personal life, obey him totally, pray relentlessly, give generously, share the gospel passionately. And when we gather together, sing from your toes. Why do you think we gather every weekend? It's not just because we need something to do. It's a necessary heart and soul exercise to make war against our pride. And his eternal promise to you is that the security and peace and purpose that you find in him here and now, as his spirit starts to put out that flame of fire, you start to finally see victory over some of these sins because you go to war against that fire of pride and the security you find there, the purpose and identity, enjoy all the fruits of the spirit that you start to find. It's only a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like with him. Now, listen, y'all, I think tangibles are really important uh, so as we walk out of here for how do we walk in this grace? So uh, let me talk to you about those for a second. How do we walk in grace? Humble ourselves. You worship, worship your way into that humility, worship your way out of pride. And how do we walk in grace? I think the first one I want to say, I actually don't have this in my notes, but it's to remember, remember Christ. Again, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the second one is to revere. This is Proverbs 13, 13. He who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Listen, inherently pride despises the commands of God because pride says I'm in charge. The commands of God says God's in charge, right? So you have to, a way to walk in grace, to make war against those flames and walk in the grace of God is to revere the commands of God. Pride likes to do its own thing. Pride says you do you. You do you is like this common, I don't know, thing that we say to one another. It is terrible advice. Please don't do you, okay? You are a proud, arrogant, easily deceived sinner. Don't do you. Instead, revere the commands of God and follow Christ. And that begins with cherishing and valuing and revering his word more than your own thoughts. 
So let me ask you something. I don't know what you think about the Bible. And when I say revere, you might hear, yeah, you need to like honor that like it's a sacred relic. No, 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 no. It needs to be a holy source of life for you. Do you obey his word? Do you know his word? Are you in his word? Do you obey his word even when it calls you to do that which feels like death? See, listen, the Bible warns us. Here's what happens time and again. And it feels almost like a paradox that you find yourself in. The Bible warns us away from death that feels like life and calls us towards a life that sometimes feels like death, but it's for our good. And there, when you obey God in a way that might hurt in the moment, that's where you're gonna show who's really in charge. I'm gonna give you maybe a question to reflect on with this one right here, this revere thing. What does my time in God's word say about how much I'm submitting my life to him? It's a question for you to just kind of like process, self-reflect. Again, I want you to walk in grace. The point is not here to condemn you. The point is to tell you there is a, a better way. Humility brings honor, right? A humble spirit brings honor. It brings life. There's a better way for you. And these questions are designed to help illuminate for you where pride might actually be in charge. What does my time in God's word say about how much I submit my life to him? Here's the third thing. Listen, listen. Proverbs 15, 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Let me go ahead and pose the diagnostic question right out front in this one. How well do I receive correction from others? This is the one you got to ask some friends about. Some friends and maybe your boss, if you have one. Like if, the, if not a boss, maybe it's a parent or just some sort of a spiritual parent figure in your life. Like if the collective silent opinion about you is you can't tell her anything or you can't tell him anything, that's a problem. That's immaturity headed for humbling. Y'all, I'll go ahead and tell you, this was me for far too long. Uh, one of the wake up calls, and like I've told you before, clearly I'm not, still, I'm not done with pride, right? Still making war against it. Uh, but I did get a wake up call at age 27. It was, I basically realized through a set of interactions that I was not Superman and did not know everything had some severe blind spots that were destroying me both personally and professionally. So I started listening. I stopped trusting. This is big. I stopped trusting all of my instincts so much because my instincts were serving my ego. And that's what happens so much in us. 10 years later, here's what I can kind of tell. <laughs> the way that I can tell the Lord might be doing some work in me is that I recognize I'm wrong a whole lot more, which is not fun. I apologize more. I listen more. I don't like it. Again, I am a work in progress for sure, but I, I'm trusting and hoping that I'm a more faithful husband and dad and pastor for it. And if you find yourself going, no way I'm asking somebody else, how well do I receive correction? Well, this is actually for you. I mean, you're the one that really needs to do this. All right. And you got to trust God with the result. Remember you are secure in Christ. Your identity's in him. He, God looks at you and bases his approval on you, not on how well you receive correction, but on Christ and his finished work and his death and resurrection. And that security frees you to humble yourself before others so that you can grow more into the image of Christ. Here's the last one. It goes right along with that. And that's confession. Confess. It's Proverbs 28, 13. 
Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. You see the way to death. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Path of death, path of life. The surefire sign of someone who is walking in the path of humility, they confess their sins. They confess to God. They confess, they probably got a close friend they confess to, and they confess to those they sin against. The one who confesses his sins and turns from them. That's the one that obtains mercy. This is the part of the gospel that when left out, leads to a version of Christianity that is popular, but so shallow. I don't even understand how you could call it Christianity. Grace, the grace of God is amazing because it saved a wretch like me. I got to see that I'm a wretch in order to receive the amazing grace of God. This is 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, which can also just be ignoring it, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But when we confess our sins, right? He who confesses and forsakes them. This is Proverbs 28. Now over in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. That's our God. Faithful and righteous, not to condemn us for them. No, no, no. He put Christ on the cross for that. Faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is a part of whole life worship. As long as you have this human frame, you will sin. So you can either confess and worship and receive again the grace of God over you, abide, draw near again, see, receive the refreshing of the soul. Acts 3, when we confess our sins, we can receive the refreshing of the soul that comes from the presence of the Lord. You can receive that, or you can try and stand in your own pride. But you will eventually be destroyed by it. Revere, listen, confess, worship your way out of your pride. That's what walking in grace looks like. That's the way of Christ that he invites us into, invites you into it. This series has pursued the wisdom of God. And plain and simply, it comes from the fear of the Lord. Revering, wondering, being in awe of him and seeing at the same time he is holy and he's good. And he has chosen to set his affection on you and I. And so we humbled because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve his mercy. Humbled by that are then able to walk in grace. Let me lead you through just a quick time of prayer and response to this as we close this. I want you to pray and I want you to take just a second and remember the grace of God. Thank God for salvation in Christ. And if you have never where you hear this gospel message at the center of the Christian faith and you never received it. I want you to receive it now. I want you to realize that all the things that you've been fighting against, all that smoke comes from that flame of pride, that sin that you've been pushing against God being the one in charge. You've been pushing against God. You say, God, I repent of my sin. I believe Christ died for me and I receive your forgiveness today. You pray that to him. He promises, just like we read in 1 John, that he will forgive you of your sins. Right now, you can have that salvation. You receive that. 
Christian, remember that moment where that happened for you. Thank him for it. Worship him now for it. Confess to him where you have been in your pride going after your own way. Maybe you didn't see it until today. Humble yourself. And as you humble yourself, see him not as the judge condemning you, but as the father opening his arms, welcoming you back into relationship with him. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. God, you are holy. We are not. You are righteous. We are not. You are good. You love us, and yet we still go after our own agendas. Our egos drive us, and yet you love us still. Your patience towards us is amazing. So we worship you. And God, we thank you for your grace. That you look at us and you see that not sin, but you see child that you call son, you call daughter, and you invite us in. You draw us close. Oh, we praise you. Praise you. We worship you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.